a treatise of the fear of God, showing what it is and how distinguished from that which is not so. Also, whence it comes, who has it, what are the effects, and what the privileges of those that have it in their hearts. By John Bunyan. Advertisement by the Editor The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a fountain of life, the foundation on which all wisdom rests, as well as the source from whence it emanates. Upon a principle so vastly important, all the subtle malignity of Satan has been directed, if possible, to mislead the very elect, while the ungodly and impenitent fall under his devices. To the mind enlightened by divine truth, the difference between a filial fear of offending God and the dread of punishment is very plain. Still, by the devil's sophistry, some of the most pious Christians have been puzzled and bewildered. Bunyan was not ignorant of Satan's devices, and he has roused the energies of his powerful mind, guided by divine truth, to render this important doctrine so clear and easy to be understood that the believer may not err. This rare volume, first published in 1679, soon became so scarce that Chandler, Wilson, Whitfield, and others omitted it from their editions of Bunyan's works. At length, it appeared in the, the more complete collection by Ryland and Mason, about 1780. Since then, it has been reprinted, somewhat modernized by the Tract Society from an original copy discovered by that ardent lover of Bunyan, the Reverend Joseph Belcher. Of this edition, 4,000 copies have been printed. The great line of distinction that Bunyan draws is between that terror and dread of God as the infinitely holy one, before whom all sin must incur the intensity of punishment and the love of God as the father of mercies and fountain of blessedness in the gift of his son, and a sense of adoption into his family by the influences which the soul fears to offend him. This fear is purely evangelical, for if the slightest dependence is placed upon any supposed good works of our own, that filial fear of God is swallowed up in dread and terror, for salvation depends upon the perfection of holiness, without which none can enter heaven, and which can only be found in Christ. Mr. Mason, on reading this treatise, thus expressed his feelings. When the fear of the Lord is a permanent principle, inwrought in the soul by the divine spirit, it is an undoubted token of election to life eternal. For the most precious promises are made to God's fearers, even the blessings of the everlasting covenant. Such are sure to be protected from every enemy, to be guided by unerring counsel, and what will crown all to be beloved of God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, till by almighty and effectual grace he will be translated to those mansions of glory and blessedness prepared for him, where he will sing the praises of his covenant God while eternity endures. May this be the blessed experience of all those who prayerfully read this important treatise. George Offer A Treatise on the Fear of God Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, Psalm 128, verse 1. Fear God, Revelation 14, verse 7. 
This exhortation is not only found here in the text, but is in several other places of the scripture pressed, and that with much vehemency upon the children of men, as in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, 1 Peter 1 verse 17, etc. I shall not trouble you with a long preamble or forespeech to the matter, nor shall I hear so much as meddle with the context, but shall immediately fall upon the words themselves and briefly treat of the fear of God. The text, you see, presented, a, presented us with matter of greatest moment, to wit, with God and with the fear of Him. First they present us with God, the true and living God, maker of the worlds and upholder of all things by the word of His power, that incomprehensible majesty in comparison of whom all nations are less than the drop of a bucket and then the small dust of the balance this is he that fills heaven and earth and is everywhere present with the children of men beholding the evil and the good for he hath set his eyes upon all their ways so that considering that by the text we have presented to our souls the Lord God and maker of us all who also will be either our Savior or Judge. We are in reason and duty bound to give the more earnest heed to the things that shall be spoken, and to the more careful, and be the more careful to receive them, and put them in practice. For, as I said, as they present us with the mighty God, so they exhort us to the highest duty towards Him, to wit, to fear Him. I call it the highest duty, because it is, as I may call it, not only a duty in itself, but, as it were, the salt that seasoneth every duty. For there is no duty performed by us that can by any means be accepted of God, if it not be seasoned with godly fear. Wherefore the apostle saith, Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Of this fear I say, I would discourse at this time, but because this word fear is variously taken in the scripture, and because it may be profitable to us to see it in its variety, I shall therefore choose this method for the managing of my discourse, even to show you the nature of the word in its several, especially of the chiefest, acceptations. First, then by this word fear we are to understand even God himself who is the object of our fear. Second, by this word fear we are to understand the word of God, the rule and director of our fear. Now, to speak this word fear as it is thus taken, this word fear is taken for God himself. First, of this word fear, as it respecteth God himself, who is the object of our fear. By this word fear, as I said, we are to understand God himself, who is the object of our fear. For the divine majesty goeth often under this very name himself. This name Jacob called him by, when he and Laban chide together on Mount Gilead, after that Jacob had made his escape to his father's house. Except, said he, the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. So again a little after, when Jacob and Laban agreed to make a covenant of peace each with the other, though Laban 
after the jumbling way of the heathen by his oath, puts the true God and the false together. Yet Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. Genesis 31, verses 42 and 53. And by the fear, that is, by the God of his father Isaac. And indeed, God may well be called the fear of his people, not only because they have by his grace made him the object of their fear, but because of the dread and terrible majesty that is in him. He is a mighty God, a great and terrible, and with God is terrible majesty. Daniel 7, verse 28, Daniel 10, verse 17, Nehemiah 1, verse 5, Nehemiah 4, verse 14, Nehemiah 9, verse 32, Job 37, verse 22. Who knows the power of his anger? The mountains quake at him, the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Nahum chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. His people know him, and have his dread upon them. By virtue whereof there is begotten and maintained in them that godly awe and reverence of his majesty, which is agreeable to their profession of him. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Set his majesty before the eyes of your souls, and let his excellency make you afraid with godly fear. Isaiah 8, verse 13. There are these things that make God to be the fear of his people. First, his presence is dreadful, and that not only his presence in common, but his special, yea, his most comfortable and joyous presence. When God comes to bring a soul news of mercy and salvation, even that visit, that presence of God, is fearful. When Jacob went from Beth or Beersheba towards Haran, he met with God in the way by a dream, in the which he apprehended a ladder set upon the earth, whose top reached to heaven. Now in this dream, from the top of his ladder, he saw the Lord, and heard him speak unto him, not threateningly, not as having his fury come up into his face, but in the most sweet and gracious manner, saluting him with promise of goodness after promise of goodness, to the number of eight or nine, as will appear if you read the place. Yet I say, when he awoke, all the grace that discovered itself in this heavenly vision to him could not keep him from the dread and fear of God's majesty. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Genesis 28, verses 10-17 through 17. At another time, to wit, when Jacob had that memorable visit from God, in which he gave him power as a prince to prevail with him, yea, and gave him a name, that by his remembering it he might call God's favor the better to his mind. Yet even then and there such dread of the majesty of God was upon him that he went away wondering that his life was preserved. Genesis chapter 32 verse 30. 
man crumbles to dust at the presence of God, yea, though he shows himself to us in his robes of salvation. We have read how dreadful and how terrible even the presence of angels have been unto men, and that when they have brought them good tidings from heaven, as in Judges 13, verse 22, Matthew 28, verse 4, Mark 16, verses 5 and 6. Now if angels, which are but creatures, are, through the glory that God has put upon them, so fearful and terrible in their appearance to men, how much more dreadful and terrible must God himself be to us, who are but dust and ashes? When Daniel had the vision of his salvation sent him from heaven, for so it was, O Daniel, said the messenger, a man greatly beloved, yet behold the dread and terror of the person speaking fell with that weight upon this good man's soul, that he could not stand, nor bear up under it. He stood trembling and cries out, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straight away there remained no strength in me. Daniel chapter 10 verses 16 and 17. See you here, if the presence of God is not a dreadful and a fearful thing. Yea, his most gracious and merciful appearances. How much more then when he showeth himself to us as one that disliketh our ways, as one that is offended with us and for our sins. And there are three things that in an eminent manner make his presence dreadful to us. Number one, the first is God's own greatness and majesty. The discovery of this, or of himself thus, even as no poor mortals are able to conceive of him, is altogether unsupportable. The man dies to whom he thus discovers himself. And when I saw him, says John, I fell at his feet as dead. Revelation 1 verse 17. It was this, therefore, that Job would have avoided in the day that he would have approached unto him. Let not thy dread, says he, make me afraid. Then call thou, and I will answer. Or let me speak, and answer thou me. Job 13, verses 21 and 22. But why doth Job after this manner thus speak to God? Why? It was from a sense that he had of the dreadful majesty of God, even the great and dreadful God that keepeth covenant with his people, the presence of a king is dreadful to the subject, yea, though he carries it never so condescendingly. If then there be so much glory and dread in the presence of the king, what fear and dread must there be, think you, in the presence of the eternal God? Number two. When God giveth his presence to his people, that his presence causeth them to appear to themselves more than what they are, then at other times, by all other light, they can see. O my Lord, said Daniel, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me. And why was that? But because by the glory of that vision he saw his own vileness more than at other times. So again, I was left alone, says he, and saw this great vision. And what follows? Why, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. 
Daniel chapter 10, verses 8 and 16. By the presence of God, when we have it indeed, even our best things, our comeliness, our sanctity and righteousness, all do immediately turn to corruption and polluted rags. The brightness of his glory dims them as the clear light of the shining sun puts out the glory of the fire or candle, and covers them with the shadow of death. See also the truth of this in that vision of the prophet Isaiah. Woe is me, said he, for I am, an, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? What is the matter? How came the prophet by this sight? Why, says he, mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. But do you think that this outcry was caused by unbelief? No, nor yet begotten by slavish fear. This was to him the vision of his Savior, with whom also he had communion before, verses 2 through 5. It was the glory of that God with whom he had now to do that turned, as was noted before of Daniel, his comeliness in him into corruption, and that gave him yet greater sense of the disproportion that was betwixt his God and him, and so a greater sight of his defiled and polluted nature. Number three, add this to the revelation of God's goodness, and it must needs make his presence dreadful to us. For when a poor defiled creature shall see that this great God hath, notwithstanding his greatness, goodness in his heart, and mercy to bestow upon him, this makes his presence yet the more dreadful. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. The goodness as well as the greatness of God doth beget in the heart of his elect an awful reverence of his majesty. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence? And then, to engage us in our soul to the duty, he adds one of his wonderful mercies to the world for a motive. Fear ye not me. Why, who art thou? He answers, Even I, which have set, or placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. Jeremiah 5, verse 22. Also, when Job had God present with him, making manifest the goodness of his great heart to him, what doth he say? How doth he behave himself in his presence? I have heard of thee, says he, by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Job 42, verses 5 and 6. And what mean the tremblings, the tears, those breakings and shakings of heart that attend the people of God, when in an eminent manner they receive the pronunciation of the forgiveness of sins at his mouth, but that the dread of the majesty of God is in their sight mixed therewith? God must appear like himself, speak to the soul like himself. Nor can the sinner, when under these glorious discoveries of his Lord and Savior, keep out the beams of his majesty from the eyes of his understanding. I will cleanse them, saith he, from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, 
and I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned, and whereby they have transgressed against me. And what then? And they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. Jeremiah 33, verses 8 and 9. Alas, there is a company of poor, light, frothy professors in the world that carry it under that which they call the presence of God, more like to antics than sober, sensible Christians, yea, more like to a fool of a play than those that have the presence of God. They would not carry it so in the presence of a king, nor yet of the lord of their land, were they but receivers of mercy at his hand. They carry it even in their most eminent seasons, as if the sense and sight of God and his blessed grace to their souls in Christ had a tendency in them to make men wanton. <clears throat> but indeed it is the most humbling and heartbreaking sight in the world. It is fearful. Objection. But would you not have us rejoice at the sight and sense of the forgiveness of our sins? Answer. Yes. But yet I would have you, and indeed you shall, when God shall tell you that your sins are pardoned indeed. Rejoice with trembling, Psalm 2, verse 11. For then you have solid and godly joy, a joyful heart and wet eyes, and this will stand very well together, and it will be so more or less. For if God shall come to you indeed, and visit you with the forgiveness of sins that visit removeth the guilt, but increaseth the sense of thy filth, and the sense of this that God hath forgiven a filthy sinner, will make thee both rejoice and tremble. O oh, the blessed confusion that will then cover thy face, whilst thou, even thou, so vile a wretch, shall stand before God to receive at his hand thy pardon, and so the first fruits of thy eternal salvation, that thou mayest remember and be confounded and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame or thy filth when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done saith the Lord God Ezekiel 16.63 but second as the presence so the name of God is dreadful and fearful wherefore his name doth rightly go under the same title that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name the Lord thy God Deuteronomy 28 verse 58 the name of God what is that but that by which he is distinguished and known from all others names are to distinguish by so man is distinguished from beasts and angels from men so heaven from earth and darkness from light especially when by the name the nature of the thing is signified and expressed and so it was in their original for then names express the nature of the thing so named and therefore it is that the name of God is the object of our fear because by his name his nature is expressed holy and reverend is his name Psalm 111 verse 9 and again he proclaimed the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. 
Also, his name, I Am, Jah, Jehovah, with several others, what is by them intended but his nature, as his power, wisdom, eternity, goodness, and omnipotency, etc., might be expressed and declared. The name of God is therefore the object of a Christian's fear. David prayed to God that he would unite his heart to fear his name, Psalm 86, verse 11. Indeed, the name of God is a fearful name, and should always be reverenced by his people. Yea, his name is to be feared forever and ever, and that not only in his church and among his saints, but even in the world and among the heathen. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, and all kings thy glory. Psalm 102, verse 15. God tells us that his name is dreadful, and that he is pleased to see men be afraid before his name. Yea, one reason why he executeth so many judgments upon men as he doeth, is that others might see and fear his name. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. Isaiah 59, verse 19, and Malachi 2, verse 5. The name of a king is the name of fear. And I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, Malachi 1, 14. The name of master is the name of fear. And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord, verse 6. Yea, rightly to fear the Lord is a sign of a gracious heart. And again, to you that fear my name, saith he, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Malachi 4, verse 2. Yea, when Christ comes to judge the world, he will give reward to his servants, the prophets, and to his saints, and to them that fear his name, small and great. Revelation 11, verse 18. Now I say, since the name of God is that by which his nature is expressed, and since he naturally is so glorious and incomprehensible, his name must needs be the object of our fear, and we ought always to have a reverent awe of God upon our hearts at what time soever we think of or hear his name, but most of all when we ourselves do take his holy and fearful name into our mouths, especially in a religious manner, that is, in preaching, praying, or holy conference. I do not by thus saying intend as if it was lawful to make mention of his name in light and vain discourses, for we ought always to speak of it with reverence and godly fear. But I speak it to put Christians in mind that they should not in religious duties show lightness of mind or be vain in their words when yet they are making mention of the name of the Lord. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Make mention then of the name of the Lord at all times with great dread of his majesty upon our hearts, and in great soberness and truth. To do so otherwise is to profane the name of the Lord, and to take his name in vain. And the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Yea, God saith, that he will cut off the man that doeth it. So jealous is he of the honor due unto his name. Exodus 20, verse 7, Leviticus 20, verse 3. This therefore showeth you the dreadful state of those that lightly, vainly, lyingly, and profanely make use of the name, this fearful name of God, either by their blasphemous cursing and oaths, 
or by their fraudulent dealing with their neighbor. For some men have no way to prevail with their neighbor to bow under a cheat, but by calling falsely upon the name of the Lord to be witness that the wickedness is good and honest. But how these men will escape. When they shall be judged, devouring fire and everlasting burnings, for their profaning and blaspheming the name of the Lord becomes them betimes to consider of. Jeremiah 14, verses 14 and 15, Ezekiel 20, verse 39, Exodus 20, verse 7. But, third, as the presence and name of God are dreadful and fearful in the church, so is his worship and service. I say his worship, or the works of service to which we are by him enjoined while we are in this world, are dreadful and fearful things. This David conceiveth when he saith, But as for me, I will come into thy house, in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Psalm 5, verse 7. And again saith he, Serve the Lord with fear. To praise God is a part of his worship. But, says Moses, Who is a God like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Exodus 15, verse 11. To rejoice before him is a part of his worship. But David bids us rejoice with trembling. Psalm 2, verse 11. Yea, the whole of our service to God and every part thereof ought to be done by us with reverence and godly fear. And therefore let us, as Paul saith again, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Hebrews 12. Number 1. That which makes the worship of God so fearful a thing is for that it is the worship of God. All manner of service carries more or less dread and fear along with it, according as the quality or condition of the person is to whom the worship and service is done. This is seen in the service of subjects to their princes, the service of servants to their lords, and the service of children to their parents. Divine worship, then, being due to God, for it is now of divine worship we speak, and this God, so great and dreadful in himself and name, his worship must therefore be a fearful thing. Number two. Besides, this glorious majesty is himself present to behold his worshippers and their worshipping him. When two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I am there. That is, gathered together to worship him. I am there, says he. And so again, he is said to walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Revelation 1 verse 13 that is, in the churches, and that with a countenance like the sun, with a head and hair as white as snow, and with eyes like a flame of fire. This puts dread and fear into his service, and therefore his servants should serve him with fear. Number three, above all things, God is jealous of his worship and service. In all the ten words, he telleth us not anything of his being a jealous God, but in the second, which respecteth his worship, in Exodus 20. 
Look to yourselves, therefore, both as to the matter and manner of your worship. For I, the Lord thy God, says he, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. This, therefore, doth also put dread and fear into the worship and service of God. Number four. The judgments that sometimes God hath executed upon men for their want of godly fear, that is, their lack of godly fear, while they have been in his worship and service, put fear and dread upon his holy appointments. 1. Nadam and Abihu were burned to death with fire from heaven because they attempted to offer false fire upon God's altar, and the reason rendered why they were so served was because God will be sanctified in them that come nigh him. Leviticus 10, verses 1-3 through 3. To sanctify his name is to let him be thy dread and thy fear, and to do nothing in his worship but what is well-pleasing to him. But because these men had not grace to do this, therefore they died before the Lord. 2. Eli's sons, for want of this fear, when they ministered in the holy worship of God, were both slain in one day by the sword of the uncircumcised Philistines. See 1 Samuel 2. 3. Uzzah was smitten and died before the Lord, but for an unadvised touching of the ark when the men forsook it. 1 Chronicles 13, verses 9 and 10. 4. Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, for telling a lie in the church when they were before God, were both stricken dead upon the place before them all, because they wanted the fear and dread of God's majesty, name, and service when they came before him. Acts 5. This, therefore, should teach us to conclude that next to God's nature and name, his service, his instituted worship, is the most dreadful thing under heaven. His name is upon his ordinances, his eye is upon the worshippers, and his wrath and judgment upon those worship not and those who worship not in his fear. For this cause, some of those at Corinth were by God himself cut off, and to others he has given the back, and will again be with them no more. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 32. This also rebuketh three sorts of people. And here are the three sorts of people rebuked. Number one, such as regard not to worship God at all, be sure they have no reverence of his service, nor fear of his majesty before their eyes. Sinner, thou dost not come before the Lord to worship him. Thou dost not bow before the high God. Thou neither worshipest him in thy closet nor in the congregation of saints. The fury of the Lord and his indignation must in short time be poured out upon me and upon the families that call not upon his name. Psalm 79, verse 6, Jeremiah 10, verse 25. Number 2. This rebukes such as count it enough to present their body in the place where God is worshipped not minding with what heart or with what spirit they come thither. Some come into the worship of God to sleep there. Some come thither to meet with their chapmen and to get into the wicked fellowship of their vain companions. 
Some come thither to feed their lustful and adulterous eyes with the flattering beauty of their fellow sinners. Oh, what a sad account will these worshippers give when they shall count for all this, and be damned for it. Because they come not to worship the Lord with that fear of his name that became them to come in when they presented themselves before him. Number three. This also rebukes those that care not, so they worship, how they worship, how, where, or after what manner they worship God. Those, I mean, whose fear towards God is taught by the precept of men, these are hypocrites. Their worship also is vain, and a stink in the nostrils of God. Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Isaiah 29, verses 13 and 14, Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.